great stories have great beginnings. A tale of two cities begins, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. Or uh, Tolkien's Hobbit begins, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. That just makes you want to turn the page and get introduced to this hobbit. Wonderful beginning. But in my view, they don't compare to the beginning of beginnings. Genesis 1.1 reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could paraphrase that today and say, In the beginning, God made beautiful things. Today we continue our series, The Story. And in this series, we're going to spend all of 2023 exploring from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the last book, the true story of God's salvation, mercy in and through Jesus. And naturally, in part one, we're going to focus on the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2 really is the beginning of the beginnings. It's quite long, so I won't read it in its entirety this morning, but I'll read portions of it throughout our time. Now, before we dig into Genesis chapter 1, let me just get something out on the table. When it comes to Genesis 1 and 2, I have found that Christians and non-Christians have something in common. And that is, when we, we read Genesis 1, we're very tempted to focus on the question, how? How did God do this? Let me just read the first six verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And then the text goes on and on, all the way through day six. Now, If you come to Genesis 1 with the question of how God created the heavens and the earth as your focus, you will get mired in endless debates of how old the earth is and other points of contention such as the theory of evolution and so forth. You see, when we approach the text, when we approach the Bible, one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves is what is the genre of the text? Because biblical truth can come in various forms of genre, of literary genre. For for example, is this a historical account like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts? Or is this a more poetic account like Ecclesiastes or Psalms? Poetic accounts are no less true in intent, but they're not concerned with recording exact details. So, for example, men as... Valentine's Day comes up, if you wanted to write your wife a poem, you may not use exact details. You just may be poetic and sweeping in your poetry. I can see many of you are saying, all right, I'll take notes. Or wives, if you want to write the same for your husband. The problem with approaching Genesis 1 and 2 with the how question is it does not seem that Genesis 1 and 2 is at all concerned with the how question when you actually read the text. So, for example, you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see two accounts of creation. 
And they're actually, if you really got in the details of those two accounts, you can see that they're not, they don't line up exactly the same way. And one of the things that we have to do when we open Genesis 1 and 2 is we need to say, okay, God is not trying to give us a science book here. And throughout the ages, Christians have disagreed on how God created. Good and godly Christians have disagreed. Some have said the earth is young. It's, it's very young and that, that the day uh, recorded in Genesis was a true 24-hour day. Some say the earth is really old, that the day, a day could have been millions of years old each day. And then some ascribe to a theory of Christian evolution that God used the process of evolution to create. There is a place for those debates, and they can be useful somewhat, but not for today. Because today, the question is not how. The question I want us to ask today is who? Who? Who is God? We'll spend two-thirds of our time there. And who are you? We'll spend about a third of our time there. The big idea this morning is God's work in the beginning gives us deep insight into the nature of God and God's loving intent for humanity. Let's start with God. Always a good idea, since we'll spend two-thirds of our time with God. Who is God? Now, I just surfaced five attributes of God for us here. There's so much more that, that we could say. But let me just say this for today. First of all, who is God? The first one is God is the uncreated creator. You, if you hang around here long enough, you'll hear me say this a lot. Notice Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of creation. But it is not, and hear the word not, it is not the beginning of God. And one of the great theological aspects of God is that God is eternal. God does not have a beginning. God does not have an end. God has always existed and God always will. For your friends who struggle to believe in the existence of God, or for those times in your life when you have doubts, one of the most powerful arguments for the existence of God is called the cosmological argument for God. Now, there is a great video uh, by William Lane Craig and the ministry he supported uh, that I put in the uh, handout notes at the bottom there in resources if you want to dig a little deeper. But let me just summarize the cosmological argument for God. It simply goes like this. It's very... Uh, uh, concise. It's not always simple, but it's concise. The first one is this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. So, in other words, things just don't pop up out of nowhere. Things just don't appear. If you see a mouse in your house and you have to get it out, that mouse just didn't pop up. That mouse had a beginning. There is a mama mouse and a daddy mouse somewhere, and you've got to hope that those two aren't in the house either. Okay, things just don't pop up. They have a cause to exist. Second, the universe began to exist. Now, this might seem like a simple statement for us, but for years, atheists have argued that the universe is eternal, that the universe has always been. But for over the past 50 years or so, science has proven that this is not the case. Let me just give you one reason. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that the universe is slowly running out of usable energy, okay? But if the energy had been here forever, it would have run out of energy by now. 
And so go to the video, you'll see a lot more arguments for why science, whether, whether scientists have faith or not, believe that the universe did not always exist. The universe is not eternal. So therefore, the universe began to exist. Stay with me. Therefore, we can surmise the universe has a cause. It hasn't just always been. It has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, it had to be created outside of the space-time continuum. The cause then must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused, and imaginably caused by something far more powerful than we can imagine. And that something is someone. That's God. That's the argument for the cosmological argument for God. God is the uncreated creator. This means that God creates out of nothing. This goes for the universe, and this goes for your life. This goes for the universe, and this goes for your life. God can bring to bear resources and provision for you that is beyond your wildest dreams, that is beyond your imagination. God fed the people of Israel with manna and quail from heaven, and God can do the same in your life. God is not bound by the normal limitations of material and space to meet your needs. Second, God is three in one. We see in Genesis easily, we see God the creator. We see God the spirit hovering over the waters. And we see God the son. John 1 says uh, that Jesus was the word of God and was with God from the beginning. Colossians tells us that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation by him and for him all things were created. You skip down to Genesis 1.26, and you see written there, then God said, let us, us, make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over all creatures that move along the ground. Let us, before humankind was ever created. So we see God as three in one right there, and Genesis, and this tells us that God is relational. God is a relational God who lives in the context of relationships and community, and so should we. Third, God is orderly. Without regard to how long it took God to create the universe, we can see that the universe was created with an incredibly intelligent and orderly design that enables and sustains life. Genesis opens with the earth described as formless and empty. And God works and brings order and fills it with his goodness. This is what God will do in your life. Excuse me for a second. <coughs> Thank you. God will take your chaos and bring peace and order. God will take your emptiness and fill it with his goodness and grace. Fourth, God is a God of beauty. We just celebrated that together. You make beautiful things. Beautiful things. I think the beauty of creation is one of the ways that people who are not Christians become open to God. In some ways, it is like creation is a message. I mean, just look at those pictures. It's like creation is a message from a creator 
that people who don't know God yet personally can meet. It's like a message from a creator they have not yet met. They see this incredible part of creation, and it opens the heart and the mind that there must be something else, something next, something more coming. Let me give you another Gus lesson, if you will. For those of you who are around here for the first time, I like to give lessons from my little dog, Gus. He doesn't tell them to me. I'm not that crazy. But but I, I I just watch this. So last April, we got him from a breeder in North Carolina named Tammy. And from time to time, Gus was just, uh, from the time he was just a few weeks old, she would send me pictures of Gus as he grew up in his first few weeks. And I then texted her and said, can I send him a t-shirt that I have worn? Right? Can I send him a t-shirt so he can get used to my scent and so that maybe he'll be used to us when, when we pick him up? Now, so I did send him a, a, a Nationals t-shirt. Uh, that's probably the best use it's going to have in a long time. But I sent him a Nationals t-shirt, uh, wore it also super. I don't know if it worked. I don't know. But for seven hours, he had this little puppy had a great ride back home and a fairly easy transition into our family. Now, I don't know if that's stretching an analogy or not, but I've wondered, can creation be that way for people who don't yet know God personally? Can they see the beauty and the majesty of creation and say, you know, there's something else out there. There's a message out there. And the prayer is that they will grab that message and get to know that God more. Gus smelled the t-shirt and has gotten to know his people more. Fifth, parent provider. God is a parent provider. Genesis 1.29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. We see here right away that God didn't create humankind and say, okay, good luck. Hope it goes well. No. God created all that his creation needs to not just sustain life, but to thrive. God's promise to humankind is to provide for us like a loving parent. And get this, as you read through Genesis, this is one of the first glimpses we see of God's love for humankind that we see in the story. He creates and says, okay, now here's the food for you to sustain life. And as the story unfolds in Genesis, we see, and throughout the Bible, we see that God's provision His greatest provision is for salvation through Christ and God as our provider. Let me ask you a gentle question this morning. Do you trust God's provision for your life? Do you trust it? I'll be honest with you. This is one of the areas of my spiritual journey that I believe God is still working on and that God is refining. God is always, always, always provided for me and my family in ways material and beyond, always. Yet, I I shared with Pastor Brian just this past week, I trust, I trust, but I seem to kind of worry and wonder along with that trust. It's crazy how they, sometimes they can go together. Let me give an example. We just wrapped up our ministry year for 2022, and we just wrapped up our financials, and we're going to have a report for you next week in the town hall meeting. And I'm happy to report to you, by God's grace, God provided all that we need. God met uh, our needs financially as a congregation. 
God exceeded our needs as a, uh, financially as a congregation so that we could fulfill all of our ministries and support all of our mission partners the way we plan to do. I, I'm loving this. I can't wait to share the numbers with you next week. I'm in my eighth year as your pastor. Every year, you are extra generous by God's grace in December. And every year, we tend to meet our expenses and are able to fully fund our mission partners. I've never had to write a mission partner and say, hey, we can't support you enough this year. Eight years. And yet, December rolls around, and I start saying, okay, I hope without. I'm slow. I'm just slow in this area. I've got to admit I am. God is a provider, parent. God will provide. Other areas, I don't think twice about trusting God, but this one takes me a little longer. There's so much more we can learn about God from the beginning. But I'll shift now to talk about who are you. Just two ideas here. First of all, we're God's image in the world today. You are God's image. You've been made in the image and likeness of God. God has designed you, equipped you, and empowered you to be his representative to the world around you. For those of you who are retired or getting close to retirement, there's often talk about what you will do in retirement. I hear people talk about this all the time. You know, what will I do in retirement? And this, please know that this is your primary vocation right here. To bear the image of God wherever you go. To bear the image of God until you draw your last breath. It is a, an identity and vocation we have been given. God wants us to represent him in the way that we live, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play. In the way we live. The way we live, we want people to know, hey, I think they might follow God, or I wonder what it is about them, and then ask, continue to ask follow-up questions. Old Town on Wednesday night was buzzing because there was a high-level dignitary visiting in town. And for hours late Wednesday afternoon, uh, the end of Wolf Street was blocked off right down by the river. Police told a friend of mine that he couldn't even walk 10 steps to put something in the trash can uh, because that area had already been swept for bombs and everything. And so my friend and I would just say, okay, who is it? And we started, he would take a guess, I would take a guess. I said, I don't know, but they're sweeping for bombs. It's not just us, that's for sure. We speculated over and over and over. Well, later that evening, I was sitting in my living room and I heard a roar, I mean a roar of lots of motorcycles. I leapt to my feet. Well, let this little bit of a stretch, but I got up. And not, not as easy as Pastor Brian did those, those whatever he was doing that day. Uh, what were you doing? Squats. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that quick. But I went out to the alley to catch a glimpse. Lots of motorcycles, lots of marked SUVs, followed by several black SUVs with flags on the front of one of them. Okay? But not the big limousine that the president usually rides in. I, I didn't see that. I couldn't tell who it was, but based on the outward activity and symbols, I guessed it had to be the vice president or a, a, a visiting president from another country, something like that. It just that level. The activity, the outward aspects of your life 
represents God to the world. When you show mercy to someone, you're showing the mercy of God. When you forgive someone who has wronged you, you are reflecting the forgiveness of God. When you show compassion for those who don't love you or those who are strangers to you, you are showing the compassion of God. When you offer hospitality, in other words, you make room in your life for others, you are showing the hospitality of God who made room for you. When you are generous, you are reflecting the generosity of God. Go back to the motorcade for a moment. If that motorcade had stopped somewhere, and perhaps a staff member would have gotten out of one of the support cars, I would have asked them about the dignitary. Who was in there? And hopefully they would have told me. They might not have been able to, but maybe they would have, right? The way that you outwardly represent God often also needs to be connected with verbally sharing with people about God. So let me make that really clear. We are to outwardly represent God with our actions, but it's not enough. We also have to verbally share about the God we follow, the God we love. Our mission philosophy here at OTCC is really very simple. We want to share the love of Jesus here. You can, I bet you can say it with me. Here, near, and far, right? Here, near, and far. And in so doing, we want to share a good word and do a good deed. We want to do good deeds. We want to provide shelter for the homeless. We want to feed the hungry. We want to clothe those who need clothing. We want to lift up and help those who are in need. We want to do a good deed. But it must be connected with the gospel of Jesus and we have to share the hope that we profess. Otherwise, they'll think it's all about us. And so when we have the opportunity to do and show the work of God, we also have to share the love of God with our words. So that's our first, we're rep, we represent God to the world. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The second role, and I'll wrap up with this. We are God's managers of creation. Genesis 2, 15, the second account that you'll see there in Genesis 1 and 2 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it to work it and take care of it. God has given humankind the responsibility to manage and take care of his creation. Another way to read the opening verses of Genesis is to see the various realms and rulers as it just unfolds. For, in, in other words, the first three days we have three realms, and the second three days we have their corresponding rulers, right? So day one, we see the realm of day and night. Day, day four, we see the day and night are ruled by the sun and the moon. Day two, we have the realm of the water and sky. And day five, we have the, the uh, rule by the fish and the fowl. Day three, we have the realm of the land ruled by animals and humankind, with humankind having the ultimate authority. Isn't that just a beautiful way that unfolds there in the realms and rulers? This tells us a great deal about humankind. God has given us the high and holy purpose to represent him and to reflect his image. And God has given us the responsibility to take care of and to manage his 
creation. And I believe this is another expression of God's love. A loving parent gives their child responsibility and equips and releases them into that call. I love that. The bottom line, we always ask the question, do you believe in God? But we also need to ask the question, do you know that God believes in you? Do you? God believes in you. God created you to reflect his image. And God has given you the high and holy call to manage his creation. He loves you as his child. You're called to bear his image and care for his creation. There we have the who of the beginning. God, the uncreated creator, the uncaused cause, creating this world with incredible beauty and order, lovingly providing for his children. Don't you just love a good beginning? God's work in the beginning gives us deep insight into the nature of God and God's loving intent for humanity. Now, next week we'll continue the story. We'll meet our first parents. And, and to use a football analogy, how they just fumbled the ball almost from the beginning. But anyway, that's part of the story. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for being our creator. We know we look at, at your world, we look at our lives, and we know that, that life is not accidental or uncaused. Lord, we know that you created the heavens and the earth. You created us as your image. You've placed us here to represent you. And so, God, thank you for that high and holy call. Thank you for the love that we see even coming out of these first chapters of the Bible about how you provide for us. And, Lord, how you give us a glimpse of how you're going to provide for our every need most fully our salvation in Jesus. So thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for caring and watching over us. Now, as we, your people, as we ponder and study and listen and learn and open our hearts to all that you have to tell us, let us reflect your goodness and grace to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.